Welcome to another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein. For Katie Thoreau, it's all about making music in a unique and exciting way. Katie is a jazz singer and virtuoso bass player, which she does simultaneously. Willow, weep for me. Willow, weep for me. Bend your branches down along the stream that runs to sea. To quote Quincy Jones, this girl is it. And this woman also happens to be a composer. Her album, Offbeat, was awarded Best Album of 2018 by Downbeat Magazine, as well as Rising Star in 2018 and 19. Katie is the number one selling artist on Capri Records, which released Offbeat. And she was a finalist in the 2015 Thelonious Monk competition. Katie's taken her talents here, there, and everywhere at jazz festivals in the U.S., Mexico, Germany, Finland, Serbia, Singapore, and Switzerland, and has performed with a slew of talented musicians. Dedicated to jazz education and student outreach, Katie has conducted master classes and workshops and has released an online course for the renowned website Discover Double Bass. She was also asked to form a jazz camp in Hawaii, Jazz Maui Camp, and she's also the director of Women in Jazz for the Monterey Jazz Festival. Katie graduated from the Berklee College of Music and also received a Master of Jazz Bass from California State University, Long Beach, attending both schools on full scholarships. So we've got lots to talk about with this very talented, creative woman. So let's meet and get to know Katie Thoreau. Welcome and thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you, Sandy. It's really an honor to be uh, on this podcast with you. Were you born with musical talents? No, I wouldn't say I was born with any talent. I was just born into a family that music was was a must. I'm the youngest of four children. And when we were four years old, we each had to start playing violin. And it wasn't really strict, you know, like not a tiger mom, but we did Suzuki <laughs> violin. Uh-huh. I was definitely, for all four years, pretty terrible. But I tried. I really, really tried. Were you going to form your own orchestra? Was it going to be the Thoreau quartet or sextet or whatever <laughs> we, we did have a family band because we also all played like country music and guitar there's a lot of different type of music in the house is that how your parents made their living um they were really creative about it my mom was a music teacher at, a, at um like middle schools and high schools and then uh she just had too big of a family to kind of do all that it was a lot of work so then she taught math and then later in her career she did music and now she plays she plays bass as well in, in community orchestras, and my dad always had a day job, but he's a bassoon player and always played in orchestras and community orchestras all through his career. So violin didn't really speak to you at a young age, but you felt very connected to music. Yeah, I did. It was, it was something really, it was always fun, even though I knew I wasn't good at it. And how did that get encouraged when you went to school? It was really my, my mom when I was eight, it was kind of an unspoken rule that you could switch to a different instrument because that was just, it was like, you know, how kids would start on piano and things like that. So she suggested when I was eight, switching to bass and I'll really never forget it. And it never made sense then, but she said, everyone always needs a bass player. So you'll always have a job and make money. And, um, that wasn't what drew me to the instrument. We, we went to my first lesson. I had a teacher, Dr. David Young, and it was just the ease of the lesson and the way he had me hold the bow with really carefree. He was just kind of like, you know, put it in your hand like a baseball glove and 
the way the bass felt, it was really one of those beautiful moments I can look back then where it was just kind of like, this was meant for me. You know, I'm trying to imagine in my mind what an eight-year-old holding a bass must be like. It's bigger than you are. Yeah, well, luckily they make different sizes. They come in quarter size, half size. So it was definitely a much smaller instrument (laughs) than I play now. And that just really spoke to you, huh? Yeah, it really did. I don't know if it was the frequency or the size of it, but it was it was just like more fun than I've ever had in my life. And so you took bass with you through school. Yep, it it stuck with me. I ditched the violin as soon as I could <laughs> and uh, stuck with the bass. And did you also sing? Yeah, so I I sang as well and kind of like a typical upbringing of other kids, you know, you sing in church or whatever when you're growing up. So I was doing that. And my, my next older brother was a really talented classical singer. He was actually a, a boy soprano. And when I would go, I, I would always be with everybody at their lessons because there was nowhere else for me to be. So I was, I always had to be tagging along everywhere. Were you the youngest or the third of the four? I'm the youngest. I'm the last. So it was just, I would be at his lessons and at the end, the teacher would, they'd, I don't know if they were bored or wanted to see what I could do, so they would just want to warm me up vocally. So I kind of got interested in singing that way, just through the mechanics of it. And um, I sang I sang a lot of classical music growing up. I was in a couple operas wow. in Los Angeles. But I ditched that quickly, too, the whole classical and operatic side of it. I loved playing classical bass, but something about the voice... I um, kind of immediately started looking towards jazz music when I was about 11 and 12. Were you exposed to that form of music at that age? Yeah. The lucky thing, I grew up in such a big family. There was so much music. So my older brothers were already in jazz bands and doing extracurricular jazz activities. And we had a really great radio station in L.A. growing up, K-Jazz. And there was a great DJ, Chuck Niles. And on my way to my classical bass lessons, there was this really cool radio show. Uh, I think it was called Bebop in the Morning. So I'd be listening to Dizzy Gillespie and Charlie Parker and Bud <laughs> Powell on my way to my classical bass lesson, do my lesson, then get back in the car and listen to this music. So it was just kind of, it was just like a whole new language to me. It was really, really invigorating when I first heard it. Did they have a jazz band in school and did you participate or this was all done sort of extracurricularly? I did a lot of it outside of school at in Los Angeles, there's a an extracurricular school called the Colburn School of Music. I did a lot of jazz and all classical orchestra, orchestral things there. But in my middle school and, and in my high school, we really had great jazz bands. And I was always so impressed with how the teacher was able to, you know, pass on that knowledge. And that also piqued my interest about teaching because maybe they weren't the best player or improviser, but they really encouraged the students and got them to go find the knowledge. And I always found that really interesting. So then it made perfect sense for you to go to a school like the Berkeley College of Music. Yeah, definitely. So up until that point, you were doing this sort of as a, a labor of love. Yeah, well, it actually turned into like a steady job. When I was in high school, I was gigging like three nights out of the week at least, because there was a lot of places to play when I was growing up in Los Angeles. And it it was really nice how I grew up. I would go to a gig and someone would make you sit in. So you'd start learning songs that way. And then 
someone couldn't make a gig and you'd get called. So when I was in high school, I was already working a lot. And I wasn't really sure I wanted to go to school because I was having so much fun playing. And you were also earning money. Yeah, yeah, making money. <laughs> well, when that was happening in high school, were you combining the two talents, singing and playing bass? You know, that happened out of a necessity. I was studying with a really great vocalist, Tierney Sutton, and I was playing bass and I was studying jazz, jazz vocals and improvisation with her. And she said, we're practicing all this harmony. She's like, why don't you use the bass to, to play the root of the chord and sing everything above it? So in, in short, it just became a way of how to practice for me mm -hmm. to hear harmony. And then it just kind of snowballed into what I do now because it was really fun. It was just like another new fun challenge to figure that out. But yeah, I didn't really get serious about it, about playing and singing together, or it didn't really um, seem, it just seemed normal to me. So what made you decide to go to school? Well, I got a really nice scholarship. And that's, <laughs> that always works, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, it was a presidential scholarship to Berkeley. So it was full ride plus room and board. So literally didn't have to pay for anything. And I thought, well, if I don't take this opportunity now, I don't know when that will come up. But I'm really glad I did that. And so while you were at school, you were taking classes, but you were also performing. Were you making money on the side? Yeah, a little bit. Um, and it was really fun. It, there was a, a big band. It's still around now. It's called Beantown Swing Orchestra. And so I actually had a lot of experience playing in, in a big band orchestra for, for dances because, you know, like the whole swing dance craze has come back amazingly. So I got to learn how what it was like to play for dancers and what their tempos were and also doing other, other um, you know, casual gigs and figuring out all of that stuff. But it was really a good time to study and practice. I mean, you made money? Yeah, I was able to, to do that. And then I've also, I've never had a, a steady job in my life, except for at Berkeley. I worked in the music library because at that time, well, now you can find anything on the internet, but I was so intrigued that I would have access to all the music in the library. So you could take everything home and listen to it. But now I don't think that would make too much sense because you can find anything. But that was that's the only steady job I've, I've had, and I really enjoyed it. And so when you went from Berkeley to Cal State and then graduated, did you say to yourself, I want to form my own group? Again, not, not really. And in, be, in between that, when I, right when I finished Berkeley, I taught for one of their sister schools in Ecuador for a year. Oh, wow from 2009 to 2010, and I taught bass and voice. And so all it was is at the university in Quito, their music school is, is just a Berkeley satellite school. So it was all the curriculum I'd already been taking myself, so I was really familiar with it. But having that time kind of away from almost civilization. Right, right. And to really have no, no distractions and, you know, no news, no nothing, and just practice, I was able to work on a lot of material then and just work on work on all the um the spots in my in my own playing and my own musicality that I know needed work so I think knowing all those things about myself probably generated an, an excitement to maybe want to you know start my own trio and and do things out of all of the stuff that I had worked on at that point were you playing other musicians work or were you composing on your own I was playing 
you know, a lot of jazz standards, a, a lot of other people's work, just because the composing had never really come to me yet. I'd, I'd done it just out of practice and exercise to see how, you know, chords and melodies and things work. But it wasn't something that had really struck me yet until, you know, years after that. And did it seem odd to you that there you were playing the bass and singing at the same time? Because you didn't really see anybody else do that, did you? No. Yeah, I don't know how to explain it, really, because it, it all just seems so so normal to me because I know how the bass functions and I know how the voice functions. And for me, it just made in my, you know, in my brain, I can see it visually. It makes so much sense when I can see them line up. And when I'm listening, there's, there's only been a couple of bass players that I've enjoyed just singing with if they're playing bass. Because otherwise I'd get so distracted, you know, by the bass line. You know, oh, they, they played a minor third on a major third chord. And then it's the other way around. I really love accompanying singers because I know, I kind of know that side of it too. So I really love to be to play behind singers as well. You know, you said it made sense to you. It was sort of a natural thing to do. Do you think that it made sense to other professionals? Or did they see you as some sort of an anomaly based on you were a female bass player? It probably made sense to them because I'm a personality-wise, I could be kind of gruff at times and pretty forward. Mm -hmm. and, and I know I am sure of myself. So it probably... No one probably seemed to question that. So there's a strong sense of self that you have. Yeah, and I think at some times, at some points uh, when I was younger, I probably made that too clear. <laughs> um, I don't think in an egotistical way, but probably, you know, that overshadowing effect that maybe, yes, I am a woman. Maybe they haven't seen this before. So maybe I had to overcompensate a little bit without even having the knowledge of that, but yeah, no one really gave me any trouble about it. That's excellent. And also, you know, for the, all those folks who may not have gotten it, get over it. Yeah. <laughs> so you came back from Ecuador. And then what happened? What did you want to do? I knew I wanted to further my education just because I, I knew it was important if I did want to teach some at some point in my life to have, you know, how to have a, a higher degree. So I settled at Cal State Long Beach and had a scholarship there and really enjoyed my time. You know, it was so short. It was only two years. Um, and it was after that point that I was also, when I finally graduated, it was so nice to just, you know, it was done with Berkeley, done with Ecuador and, and done with getting my master's. And then I really felt this really fresh breath of air to just, again, kind of focus on what I want to do and get all the practicing that I want to get done. And Again, kind of like when I was in Ecuador, focus on those flaws. So I then started studying with one of the greatest bass players there is, John Clayton, and kind of worked on all of those aspects of my playing that I really wanted to fix so that I can really be the best player that I, bass player that I wanted to be. What year was that? I'd say that was, I think I was doing that while I was finishing my master's. So it was like 2011. And can I ask you how old you are? Right now I am... 31. So all of this was happening for you at a young age. And I can say that because I'm at an old age. <laughs> That's pretty impressive that at 31, you had a lot under your belt already in terms of experience and exposure. That must have meant a whole lot. Or maybe you didn't even, it didn't even register with you that it seemed just so natural. No, it, it did help a lot to, 
you know, to have to first when I went to Berkeley, I my home situation, I didn't wasn't going to have a home to go back to. So I just had to bring everything I had. And then when I went to Ecuador, can only bring one suitcase because of some government embargo. And then coming back and having, you know, one suitcase worth of stuff and trying to start, you know, a life with that in my base. So all those experiences kind of made me really so grateful for for my whole journey for having those times, not really of lack, but really having to work hard and while you're playing music, you know, having all those emotions really help and all those past experiences really help the music come out more, I think. I think what's interesting is despite the fact that you had a lot on your plate, you had also, in addition to the talent, the grit and the determination. And you were the one who was going to take care of you. You weren't waiting for somebody else to come along and do that. Exactly. Yeah. So did you think once you got out of school that, hey, I'd like to form a quartet. I'd like to go on the road. I'd like to perform. Where, where did you see yourself going? I think I always probably thought I'd have a a group, maybe unconsciously. And again, that just kind of came out of necessity. You know, I'd want to do a gig, so I'd be the one that would, you know, find find all the gigs and everything. So it'd be my group. So I'd have a, and that'd be the fun thing. I'd want to have a quintet, so then I'd have to write quintet music. I don't think I necessarily wanted to have my own group, but it just started to happen where I was booking gigs. So it was my group. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how that happened. And then, you know, luckily from that, building a really big repertoire of of songs and different arrangements, again, just out of necessity. And then people think you have a group and then you you go, oh, yeah, I guess I do have a group. (laughs) And on some level, your reputation preceded you. Yeah, without really knowing it. Yeah, maybe sometimes that's the best way. Where does composing come in? I wanted to do my first recording and I wanted to do it again my way. Uh, so I got all of my own funding together and got a really great team of people. I had um, a really great drummer who was with my fa- my favorite bass player, Ray Brown, and his name is Jeff Hamilton. And I asked if he would produce it and he'd never produced before, but he'd been on hundreds of records and I just I just knew he was the right person to work with. And then I had um, a trio and then with a saxophone player on some songs. And I kind of thought, you know, I got to write some things for for this group and have some music ready for this recording just to have some stuff of, under my own name. Once I decided that in my mind, then the music started coming and it was really, really easy. Is that how Offbeat was born? That's my second record. The The first one introducing Katie Thoreau was it kind of took a long time just because I wanted to do it all my own and on my own way so it took about a year and a half from recording for it to come out Mm -hmm. which now I know isn't that long but when I'm when I was in charge I kind of was like really wanted it to move faster but you can't really push those things so that first record finally came out and it ended up doing really well and people really liked it and that really helped my career I guess you would say helped that along because I got a lot of great feedback from that. How did you feel about marrying standards with your new work? I definitely have both because I always remember that we play music, of course, because we we enjoy it and it really does something for us, but it kind of only does something for me because it does something for other people. Hmm. So I always have to, I always remember that I'm playing music for you. I'm playing music for them. 
So always give something, I always like to give people something to latch on to. So if I, I wouldn't mind, you know, doing a record of all originals, but it's always nice. I feel the same way too. When you hear, maybe you'll hear an original and then another one, and then you hear a song you really know, oh, oh, I love um, right, Embraceable right. I love Embraceable You, or even right. if you hint at something. So kind of always remembering, I guess, your audience or, or why, why you do it and why you fell in love with it. And then you have people trust you and you have a little bit more leeway because, you know, the, I, I love all sorts of music. So I'm kind of thinking about even doing some, some other, you know, some more compositions, but maybe some George Harrison things or some other stuff like that. And that I think people would trust that if I put that into my repertoire, that they would enjoy it or at least have an open ear. Well, that's what's so exciting. You, know, you, you don't have to follow just one path, that there's flexibility and, hey, I think I'm going to try this and maybe I should try that. And if it works, great. And if it doesn't, you can just move on, that the world is so open to you, the musical world. Exactly. And that was the funny, the funny thing about the second record I put out, Offbeat. It was definitely different from, from the first one I did. And so it was fun for me to hear people's reactions. You know, like, oh, I wanted to hear you know, something just like the first record. And it was hmm. like, well, that's, you know, that's never going to happen again. You know, that, that was a different moment in time. So I, I kind of like people's reactions to um, the different music that I put out. As I said in the introduction, you are the number one selling artist on Capri Records. That's huge. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That must have had some kind of an impact on you or you just take everything, you know, well, hey, yeah, that, that's great and move on. You know, you kind of just acknowledge it and then move on to the next thing. How did the touring come about? Did you have an agent? Did you do this on your own? Did you take the same group with you to do all these different spots around the world? So I'm somewhat of an anomaly. I, I don't have an agent. I don't have a, a management. I do have an agent in Europe for Denmark, but in the U.S. and everywhere else internationally, I do all the bookings. Wow. And again, that just came out of starting to do it and then it snowballed and I guess important for me to at that point years ago you know I think I started touring like really really full-time like three years ago but to learn the whole business side of it and how tours work and routing and all these sorts of things it was really cool and really important to me to know that side of the business because I know a lot of people don't don't know that and how that all works I'm definitely not opposed to having management or an agent, but I f almost feel like like I've built too much of a career out of that. So people kind of seem wary of working with me because I have gotten a lot of work on my own. Right. So you far. don't need them for heaven's sake. I definitely wouldn't mind the help. I'm not opposed to it, but I do understand the pushback from that. But, you know, it is really satisfying, you know, booking a month in Europe and paying a band, paying flights and, and making a salary yourself and having that all work. And same with the, the States and kind of like learning the lay of the land, you know, when things book, how far out they book in time. And, and then also that, that gave me another opportunity to explore teaching because when I'm on the road, I really, really love stopping at schools, you know, high schools or universities and uh, giving workshops to classes there because that was something when I was in high school, people would always stop by who were on, who were on the road. And it, the, it first piqued my interest. Cause when my, when my dad was in college, 
I remember him telling me that Stan Kenton came by to his college just on an off day. And I was like, wow, if, if they could come, I, you know, I could definitely do this too. And I'm so taken by the fact that you are literally a one-woman band. I always have the best musicians around me. And, you know, they're the best musically, but they're the best friends, the best uh, travelers. So that makes my life so easy to be around those people. Because uh, there have been times when there's been people that I've had on the road that it just, you know, you get through it, but it doesn't, it's not going to work out. So it helps to have really great people around. And then I, I always stay calm because everything is always going to work out one way or another. So I know never to fret. You know, if two weeks before a tour, a gig falls through, there's, I can't do anything. I mean, I can't worry about it. So, so shit happens is what you're saying. And you move exactly. On. And mm -hmm. something, you know, maybe another opportunity falls through. I mean, it comes through. So there's going to be ups and downs. So I, yeah, I really, I'm not a worrier. And I learned at an early age that stuff happens and it's always, it's going to work out whether it's good or bad, but it'll always be good. I want to get political for a second and ask if there were ever any issues about you calling the shots as a female. No. And I think that people... You know, oftentimes people are relieved to not be the leader because then, you know, they don't get the finger pointed at them. And I, I actually think I have an advantage making deals and booking gigs as a woman sometimes because people don't want to question things like salary and or I, I guess I know I know my strengths in, in that way. But. You know, I really cannot think, and people have asked me this before, I really cannot think of one time when someone has... Um, Acted like a jerk. Yeah, at least to my knowledge. And, and I'm not that, I'm not a naive person, so not that I've been aware of that someone has taken advantage of me in that way. Have you managed to have a balance between downtime and performance or business time? That can be difficult, and I've just learned recently how to manage that better because you know with email and and everything it's so easy to just want to keep on working or answer emails uh, so really trying to keep yeah i have i've had to find a balance for that because it's not the only thing i love doing i mean i love music but i also love i love where i live i love cooking i love just i love like when i'm not on the road i like just i'm a homebody i like just staying at home watching baseball, reading. Uh, so really all that other st stuff outside of music makes the music better. So I have to keep doing all the other things to enhance the music, not just focus on booking and, and even just practicing and things like that. Sometimes just getting to play my instrument is a relief from business. So I have to remember that as well. So it all works for you. Yeah, yeah, I've definitely found a balance, and actually having some. Uh, I teach at two. I teach at the Colburn School, and I teach at um, a community college. And actually having that that teaching has also helped to round it out a little bit because now I'm personally helping other people in their journeys, and kind of getting a perspective from that angle as well. So, how did the jazz camp come about in Hawaii yet? Yeah, that was really cool. My grandma had moved to Maui in uh, about four, four or five years ago with her husband who had um, ailing health. And he, he had lived there once before and just kind of wanted to 
you know, finish out his days there. And I had visited and then I was thinking, I was like, I got to find another way to come out here, you know, through music. It's so beautiful here. And with the help of the community and some of my grandma's friends, I was able to bring my, my trio out there to um, really have a really nice theater. And while we were there, there was a man from the tourism authority who also had some nonprofits aimed at uh, children's groups. And he, he just asked, he said, you know, I've always wanted to have a jazz camp. Would you guys be interested in, in starting and, you know, coordinating and everything? And I said, oh, yeah, of course. And I know things move slower in, in Maui for sure. So I kind of wasn't really banking on it 100%. And then we got funding from a, a grant and got all these numbers together and, and just kind of almost like magic, it all came together. And we were able to have a camp of 20 kids. We had about four kids come from California. And then we had a group of kids from Maui that we had actually worked with before we did a clinic with them. And it just, it was amazing. I had basically the members of my trios, Matt Wittick on drums, Justin Coughlin on piano, who's a great pianist. And then uh, Paul Contos, who worked at the Monterey Jazz Festival. And it was this week of bringing all these kids together. And they were of varying levels, some, you know, really advanced, some more beginning intermediate, but they all really loved it. And it was, it was really beautiful to see how instantly these kids all got along because of the love of, of music, even though they were all at different levels and they were so encouraging. And we did a big concert at the end of the week, but we immediately got the green light for 2020. So that's all set to go. Oh, that's so wonderful to give birth to something like that, because you knew what it was like when you were exposed to music at such a young age and how it spoke to you. Well, yeah, and that's why we were excited. It was me and um, drummer Matt Wittick who were asked to start it. And, you know, we're, we're like in our 30s, so we had done jazz camps not too long ago, you know, participated in them. Right. And we've taught in jazz camps recently, so we kind of saw it as a great opportunity to combine what we really loved and what we thought could be improved about jazz camps um, with this one. And the cool thing about this camp was that half the day is dedicated to being outside and doing things in Maui. So <laughs> again, again, like with my own career, it's like when you do other things outside of the music, it can only enhance what you do with music. So, you know, they would get to snorkel and sail and then go to jazz camp. Yeah, how or, cool is or that? Or go to a luau and then, and then have jazz camp. So it really made it for a really fun experience. Was it a nice balance between girls and boys? It really was because um, I have to hand it to them. The the teacher on that island, just he's does such a great job with the kids. You could just tell right away because they were so well behaved. And I would say it was probably either forty or fifty percent girls. Any of your siblings joined you in your music? They're all doing something in music. My oldest sister plays viola, and she does a lot of um, side you know side work as a violist, but she's primarily the manager of a of American Youth Symphony in LA, which is like a almost professional symphony where students get to they get paid for rehearsals, they get paid for concerts, and they do a lot of community outreach. And my next oldest brother, he's in the Marines for I think seventeen years, but wow. he entered as a jazz guitarist. Wow. And uh, now now he's finished like all this stuff in the Marines, he was a drill instructor, sergeant, and now he's back in the band. And then my, my next oldest brother, uh, he also plays bass, but he got really into 
uh, like recording engineering and building studios. So he's doing that. So we're all doing something in music. Oh, that is crazy, but it's so great. So where do you see yourself? What's in the works for you? Short term, putting out more music more frequently. You mean as in albums? Yeah, definitely continue to tour while I can. Right now I'm healthy and I really love doing it. I feel like it's a good time to be out. And I, I just really love it. I love going out, meeting people, even like, you know, not just audience members, but then you get to hang with other musicians around the world. Like next next month, I'm going to, to Brazil just from meeting musicians. And so kind of expanding more that way and definitely more involving more teaching in some form of another. Mm-hmm still doing these like traveling workshops like I like to do. I guess that's like the short term, long term of it. Is there any place you would like to play that you haven't? Yeah, you know, I, I have not been to Japan yet. And I would really love, love to go there. And because um, I know they just love and appreciate jazz music so much and music in general. So I would really, that's my next goal is, is to, uh, to go to Japan. And any place in the States? Have you played in Manhattan? You played in all the big cities? I've played in the big cities. Now sometimes it's kind of like, oh, where would I like to I don't try to mix music, you know, business with pleasure, but sometimes you're like, oh, I'd love to go to um Alaska. Let me find uh something to do. Let me find a performance over there right. and I could explore for a day or two. And do you do that mostly with your your ensemble or alone? I would probably do that stuff alone. Like I went to Copenhagen Jazz Festival and I was already all the way over there and I said to my husband let's go to Barcelona because we're already over here and I hadn't been there yet (laughs) Uh so and it's you know it's easy and cheap to fly over there so kind of take a couple days off afterwards when you when you want to that's that's the the fun of it about what we get to do you're in one location and it's kind of so easy to get anywhere that you want to be so let's talk about that. Your husband plays with you? Yeah, he's he's my drummer. Oh, okay. Well, that's sort of burying the lead. <laughs> <laughs> so you met on the road? We met in school, actually, at Berkeley. Oh, very cool. So he's part of your ensemble, and you do a lot. So when you're going alone, he'll join you if he doesn't have other gigs? Exactly. Oh. Is there anything you haven't done that you want to do? There's a lot that I haven't done that I want to do. <laughs> Um, I guess I'd love to either have a big band. Uh, I think that probably actually, I would think I would love to have a big band. I know I would love to, there's a lot of opportunities to be artistic directors at, at certain festivals and concert series and things like that. I, I think I would be really good at that just from having built my own career with dealing with people and relationships. So I think I would also like to do that, take that on. Yeah, things like that. You know, it's still musically related, but have, you know, like a different angle. So Katie, how do people find you and find out where you're going to be performing? Pass that information on. Yeah, it's really easy. It's just my first and last name, Katie Thoreau. My last name is T-H-I-R-O-U-X and it's katiethoreau.com. And I got my tour dates up there. You can reach me easily through the website. Um, 
just like that. Super easy. Oh, well, this was really great getting to know you and I wish you continued success. What a what a wonderful life to be able to do what you want to do, which means so much to you and then to share it with so many people. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I, you know, I just have fun. I have fun with what I do. And if it's no longer fun, then I can't do it. I gotcha. And you move along. A great way by which to live. Well, thanks a lot, Katie, and continued success. Thank you, Sandy. I really appreciate you having me on. My pleasure. We're going to end our conversation with a little sample of her talents. Here's Katie Thoreau and Willow Weep for Me. Willow Weep for Me Willow Weep for Me Bend your branches down along the stream that runs to sea. Listen to my plea. Hear me, Willow. When weep for me. Gone my lover's dream. My lovely summer dream. Gone and left me here to weep my tears into the stream Sad as I can be Hear me, Willow And weep for me to the wind and say that love has sinned left my heart a breaking and make a moan murmur to the night and hide its starry light so none will see me sighing here and crying all alone weeping willow tree in sympathy Bend your branches down along the ground and cover me When the shadows fall Hear me, Willow And weep for me to the wind and say that love has sinned left my heart a breaking and make a moan murmur to the night and hide its starry light so none will see me sighing here and crying all alone Tree, weep in sympathy. 
bend your branches down along the ground and cover me when the shadows fall hear me willow 